to hurry. Well, we're not going to hurry in the next hour. We're going to take an interesting conversation onto all sorts of paths and all sorts of journeys, climb different mountains, walk down different valleys with our guest presenter, Gretchen Wilson-Prangley. And Gretchen is a social entrepreneur. Um, I met her for the first time when we were both studying um, at business school together. And at the time, she was working on a project that is now really growing into fruition, but doing extraordinary work with young people in very different spaces. She's a connector and, as I said, a social entrepreneur. She's the founder of this project called Play Africa, which is a groundbreaking vision of what a children's museum could look like. And in many ways, it's a bit like a museum without walls. It's like a virtual museum that moves from space to space. And I think that's a critical conversation for us today, given that we are seeing so many museums closing albeit temporarily, the Apartheid Museum being one of them, uh, owing to COVID. So how do we rethink the museum as a space, but also how do we relook at uh, a space that is for children, that uh, helps grow their confidence and their space in the the world? Gretchen Wilson-Prangley, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so thrilled to be here, and I'm really excited to to be in conversation and to, to chat with you. Gretchen, your first choice of song, a very young Miriam Makeba. Yes, it's an old song. It's a song um, from an album from 1965 with Harry Belafonte. And the reason I chose that song, Michelle, is because it puts the child really at the heart, at the center. It's the child's voice saying to their mother, you know, hurry, mama, um, hurry and hide yourself. And I think putting the child at the center is really what I hope uh, is my life's work, really. Um, I, I think about the fact that many of your listeners might have been that child, you know, might have been that child um, growing up in um, circumstances that were very difficult in the 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, even the 90s. And even if not under apartheid, maybe a child who experienced, um, even in freedom and in democracy, you know, trauma or fears or sense of survival. And I think that really, for me, points to the world that we're living here today in South Africa is that, you know, apartheid is long over, but the inequalities Mm. um, still remain and those opportunity gaps in education still remain. And part of the work that I'm so privileged to be a part of with so many people around this country is trying to figure out how to bridge those opportunity gaps so that every child can really meet his or her fullest potential. So Gretchen, I want to take you back to um, the the time that I first met you. And at that point, you were really just teasing open this idea of what would later become a children's museum. You were teasing open this idea of Play Africa, and you were working on it um, mm. as part of a social entrepreneurship program. Talk to us about the seeds of that idea. Where did they come from? And what were you thinking you wanted to do that completely changed by the time you actually got to do it? Yeah, of course. Well, you know, I, I, you might be able to tell from my accent. Um, I'm originally from the United States, and I grew up um, in a small town outside of Seattle in the United States. Had never visited play, uh, South Africa before I moved here in 2004. But in a lot of countries around the world, there are these things called children's museums. In fact, um, where I live or where I grew up, there are about seven that are within a few 
you know, within less than an hour's drive from, from the home where I grew up. So children's museums exist around the world, but South Africa's always lagged behind never having a, a fully-fledged children's museum as a space where children and families and schools can come together to learn through play, to do a lot of experiential, hands-on learning. So when I first started the idea, my idea was to bring that concept to South Africa um, and reinterpret it for a South African context. So we went on a journey of looking for a, a piece of property to buy that we could then build a very um, beautiful flagship <laughs> children's museum and then open our doors to the public. But what we realized is the, I, you know, the, the efforts to raise funds for a flagship facility um, based on a concept without a lot of proof within a South African environment of, of how it would work um, was really more difficult than I anticipated. So we pivoted entirely um, uh, in 2016 with a new idea, which is to bring our children's museum into communities themselves, um, almost building it from the inside out, putting the child at the center and then creating experiences based on global thinking about education um, around how children learn and supporting children, their parents and caregivers, and then their educators um, in communities themselves with hands-on experiential learning programs that use play and playful learning to do all manner of things, um, whether from creative arts to science and technology, engineering, maths, to building a nation. Um, And that's what we've done, um, not only here in Johannesburg, but increasingly uh, around the country and across the continent. So, you know, that's what, what's interesting is because the work that you do is not bound by the bricks mm. and mortar of a museum. And, in fact, I, I watched a video where there were some images of uh, a museum that wasn't a museum at all. They were kind of like walls that were made out of plastic, sheets of fabric mm-hmm. and plastic or whatever. And there were um, you had two teachers who were there or, or educators who were there who were actually um, critiquing the process mm. as well. So there are two things that are going on here. Is One, the iterative process of the physicality, which may mm. not actually, actually be necessary at all. Mm. But secondly, the iterative process of the learning and using educators to critique, to advise, to go backwards and forwards in that process. You know, you're absolutely right. This is something that we're building with and for the communities that we work with. And those communities are children, their parents and caregivers and educators. And I think that's one of the things that's really garnered us a lot of attention in the global cultural sector, um, from museums to education. We're really being held up as a a leader in terms of co-designing our experiences with the communities that we're um, learning with. So we, at the, the, the video that you referenced, was about inviting teachers to observe children at play and observe how they saw them learning. And that helps them bring that those same kinds of concepts into their classroom. So we work with um, university partners across South Africa, but also around the world, including Harvard's Graduate School of Education, to think about the latest um, ap- approaches to teaching and learning. And then we're helping empower educators and parents to bring those ideas into their homes so they can keep learning at home or into classrooms, and they can bring a lot of this experience into classrooms themselves. So in a lot of ways, we we don't fit the mold of of what people think of when they think of a museum. We're based, uh, very fortunately, at Constitution Hill in Johannesburg, which, um, as you know, is where we do a lot of our exciting programs, teaching children about democracy and Ubuntu and, and the Constitution. 
But we know that not everyone can come to us at Constitution Hill, so we go to where children are, whether it's in school halls or in parks or in community centers or in rooftops in the inner city. Um, Wherever kids are is where Play Africa belongs. So, you know, you talk about um, co-designing with educators and Mm. parents as well. And that's a critical aspect because Mm. we are working with children who are in many cases, as you talk about inequality, they may be traumatized at a whole load of levels. But it's also the parents that are as Mm -hmm. well. And I know that you did um, a very interesting process at one particular event where you had a social worker available Mm -hmm. for parents. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that particular incident. Well, we've had social workers. We've partnered with social workers throughout our journey over the last several years. And, and, uh, you know, sometimes we have found that um, it's really helpful to have social workers available for parents to engage with whilst their children are playing. You know, we want to be a, a space where parents feel truly comfortable and free to see their children, to connect with their children, to co you know, play with and create and discover with their children. But we've also brought in social workers to be there to support parents on their journey um, by by saying we're here for parent support. And we do that not because we know all the answers, but we can help provide, um, you know, referrals and recommendations to professional service providers who can provide ongoing support. So whilst we're not in the business of providing ongoing mental health support or social work services, we can be a doorway to those parents who who want to take the first step in terms of getting out of an abusive relationship, trying to find how to get their children um, registered in systems to be able to access certain kinds of benefits. You know, we really work in partnership with our community partners to think about how do we put the child's best interest at the heart of all the work that we do in education, but then support their parents to help provide that support as well. So um, it's really been an innovation that we we haven't seen in a lot of other children's museums around the world, the ways in which we've brought in the social work element. But you, I think it's you, really you know relevant in this context. You mentioned Constitution Hill, and uh, mm-hmm. in the past we've actually interviewed one of your young uh, attendees, who was part of the wonderful learning process on democracy. And I saw the photos of that. I was unfortunately not able to attend. But what was brilliant was that they... These young kids were all acting the certain parts of a court. So they play, They were in the courtroom and there was the judge and there was the, 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 the advocate and there was the accused. And each one of them were playing out what that process was about, which is about how the courts work and what democracy is really all about. Talk to us about their experience of that. You know, the children that we've, we've had thousands of children engage with us in our children's courts, and it's been such a powerful um, exhibition and program, uh, Michelle. And one of the things that really, really strikes us is just some of the fundamentals that you and I might take for granted as adults that we've learned about uh, courts and the Constitution and the rule of law over time. But for many children, it remains a very abstract concept. And for this experience to understand these kind of key ideas about what is a law and why do we have these laws and why do we operate under these laws and to be engaging in dialogue about these things is, is so powerful. And, you know, on Friday, we had a group of children from Alexander Township come to visit us at Constitution Hill in a limited program. And they stepped into those judges' robes and the, the lawyers' robes and the <laughs> bailiffs' outfits and all rise. And we they acted out this experience. And we always allow children to help guide us in terms of how we lead this program. So the children chose the, the issue of corporal punishment, 
How how would we have, you know, how can we address that and speak out against that? So by putting children in the driver's seat of this court experience, we find that children are able to surface the issues that they care about, whether it's gender equality, whether it's um, physical abuse. Um, some children have talked about wanting better uh, access to textbooks and other materials in their schools. Um, we really are able to hear what children have to say and give them a voice to be able to learn how to speak out uh, for what they need. And for us, that's really at the, at the core of what we're doing, and, and that's why we're bringing on partners to help us do more of this. We're really hoping to scale this program nationally so that every teacher can learn how to do a mock uh, experience like this using just simple desks and chairs in their own classroom. Um, there's no there's no fancy uh, materials that are needed to be able to give this kind of experience to children. There must be moments where you like can't help laughing and you're going, <laughs> okay, this is like, because, you know, kids will be kids and they will yeah. say what they will say. Have you got any moments? I mean, you obviously have just listening to you laugh. Yes. I mean, we've had kids having, you know, getting very elaborately um theatrical about, uh, you know, buffoons who steal, uh, you know, bananas. And then and then the kind of characters, we oftentimes put adults into the character of, of someone who's done something wrong, because we know that, you know, we want to protect um, uh, children from having kind of two, uh, as we're doing role play, we want to really kind of almost play up the theatrics of it. Mm. So we oftentimes bring kind of adults to act kind of silly <laughs> and, and, and kind of, you know, uh, exaggerated um, in their in their kind of villainous character. But, um, you know, we have found some really funny moments where, where uh, you know, kids just end up roaring on, like falling off the benches, literally laughing. Um, but, you know, I think one of the things about it is that <clears throat> it's, it's been an empowering experience, even for children who've gone through a court system in real life and, of course, mm. experienced something that's, you know, oftentimes quite challenging or, or potentially traumatic and I've had a girl come up to me um, and say please can I be the judge because I've been through this last year on my own with when I had to testify in court and I know how it works so I can I can be the judge yeah. and so we found that in some ways it can transform what might have been an adverse childhood experience into something truly empowering. Gretchen, we're going to go into your second song. Beautiful choice. Fusi Matlasela, When You Come Back. And it's the live recording from Mary Fitzgerald Square from 2005. Your choice of song? Yeah, I chose the song because I was in the audience there at Mary Fitzgerald Square in 2005. It was a cold evening, and I, I, I felt like it really was a nice bookend to the other song, um, which was about, um, you know, recorded during apartheid. This was a song that really, for me, represents the power and potential that sits inside this country and inside this continent. And I had this, I could, I recorded this actually on my own device because I loved it so much. And I remember feeling at this moment of this song playing with Busi Mashasela was singing the song, how privileged I felt to be part of South Africa's journey to build a vibrant democracy and to build a, a, a country that could really manifest the, the vision and the values of the people who sacrificed so much to create a truly just and equitable South Africa. And I just feel like I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else in the world to this day than to be part of this journey to, to make real the vision that our forefounders had for um, an equal South Africa. Let's go to the song.
Wow, I would give my right arm to see Vusi Matlisela in concert with a crowd like that once again. As they say, vaccinations are the gateway drug to live concerts. Well, we all need to take that particular gateway drug, that's for sure. That's the choice of our guest presenter, Gretchen Wilson-Prangley. Vusi Matlisela and When You Come Back, fantastic song. And uh, when we come back from the sport, we're going to be going into her guests as well. It's 9.30. SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. Leading the conversation. 0935, you are with SAFM 104 to 107. Our guest presenter is someone who has started something called none other than Play Africa, a museum without walls, a museum for children. Her name is Gretchen Wilson-Prangley. She's a social entrepreneur and she is the founder of Play Africa. We played some of her songs and now it's time for us to talk to some of her guests. Gretchen, your first guest is Dr. Tabojo Makubela, a geology lecturer at the University of Johannesburg, but focusing on science and STEM education for children. Now, I'm always a uh, one to argue for STEAM, which adds the arts into the STEM. Nevertheless, why is your choice of uh, Dr. Makubela first up? Well, I'm really excited to introduce Dr. Makubela because he and I met through um, some collaborations that we've been doing around teaching children about science and uh, the possibility of careers in science. And mm. he's at University of Johannesburg where he's a geologist and his focus is on um, working uh, on materials, especially in caves in the cradle of humankind. But what really is how we got to know each other is because he's been kind of the point person for us to actually start to work with many, many scientists at the University of Johannesburg to think about how do we introduce children to the research that's being done at the university to help build this next generation of scientists, inventors, innovators, and preparing them for the fourth industrial revolution. So um, just like you say, I think that the arts is such an important point, and I think that's my next guest, so I'll speak to that so we can use the word STEAM very liberally as well. Um, but, you know, this project, I Am a Scientist, is really focusing on the sciences, and it's it's powered by 3M with some support from RMB um, and, of course, our partners at Constitution Hill as well. And we're really excited to introduce uh, Dr. Makubela, who, who has been a person who's, who's really helped um, get the scientists on board to help talk to kids through our virtual program. So what that means is we're, we're using scientists and Facebook Live to broadcast live Q&As into classrooms and into homes um, every week where wow. scientists are sharing their stories about how they got interested in science, what excites them about their work. And this is everyone from computer scientists to geologists to um, zoologists. And, and what we're really finding is that these schools that are broadcasting these um, to hundreds and hundreds of kids uh, every week are finding that they are opening their kids' eyes to new possibilities and new careers. So with that, let me hand over to <laughs> Dr. Makubela. Thank you, Gretchen. Welcome, Dr. Makubela. Thank you, morning, Michelle. Thank you, Gretchen, for having me as your guest. So, Dr. Makubela, I want to ask you, a little earlier on in the show, we interviewed, um, we have something called a breath of fresh air, where we interview young people below the age of um, 21. And we were interviewing a young teenager. He's 17 years old. He's just won um, a prize at the ESCOM Expo and internationally as well, focusing Mm. on... Robotics. So he basically created a bot, which is like the 21st century version of the canary in the coal mine, that this robotic wow. 
can figure out whether a mine is safe after they've done explosions, yes. whether there's gas, etc. Mm. And one of the questions that I asked him is, how do you get interested in that? Like, where do you come up with that idea? And I'm like, handing that question over to you to answer, when you think about young kids and teaching mm. STEM education to them, how do you get them excited in a specific? Mm. Yeah, you know, Michelle, I think... Um, that is something that comes with uh, that curiosity at a very young age, you know, where you just become fascinated with seeing something you don't understand and you just want to know more about it. And I think that is why I have been so happy to have found Play Africa to collaborate with yeah. because they're instilling that curiosity in young children. And that is where it starts because when I look at myself and I think back, you know, I've got some of the youngest memories of when I was introduced to science yeah. and it started with asking questions of how does this work? How is this possible? And that is what is important and that is what leads to people to become a great scientist, you know, who end up wanting to come up with solutions because they're curious about a particular science and they ask themselves, huh, this is interesting. Yeah. How can I use this to apply in a different situation as a solution? You know, so I think that is one of the starting points. I'm, I'm loving this idea that Gretchen's just uh, mentioned, and I'd love you both to talk about it a little further, maybe tease it apart, is this idea of going into schools through technology and getting kids to, to talk to scientists, to ask them questions. Um, first of all, uh, Dr. Makubela, perhaps you could just talk to us how this process works and the kinds of people that are being interviewed by the kids. Yeah. So, you know, the program, I'm a scientist, I've, I am so impressed with it uh, because it teaches differently to how we teach in school, you know, or how it is children are taught in school. It brings them in so that they can understand that science is something that is around them as part of their lives, you know, and not something as abstract as Gretchen mentioned earlier, that mm. most of the concepts to children, they're very abstract. Uh, but this one, it's, it's just amazing because it is important that we make children aware that they are surrounded by science every day in their lives everywhere, whether it is in the car, in the house, in the kitchen, everywhere, you know. So it is the practicality that is important and it will help them understand why they do the subjects they do you know, uh, be it physical or natural science as well as the social science. And I think, kind of, if I can jump in, I think one of the things that we're trying to address in, in many ways is trying to get kids from a young age, from really grade R through grade 3 and, and, and a bit older, to really know that they can, they don't have to um, be intimidated by science um, and maths and technology and engineering. They can lean into those subjects to try to explore them. And so the, the program that's been so powerful with the University of Johannesburg scientists is giving them this virtual platform to have a live Q&A with one of our facilitators. And then children can type in comments, they can ask questions, they can, yeah. their, their school leaders can, can show, a, you know, by a raise of hands, you know, interact with a scientist. And it's really this bridging, this hybrid bridging effect of using technology to reach children to get them excited about what science could be. It's really opening their minds to the possibilities that science presents and, and showing them the creativity of science. I think that's something that, you know, you and I, Michelle, would really agree with is that sometimes, you know, science can really open up so much kind of creative thinking and allow you to play 
Um, yeah. And as, as your guest, uh, your 17-year-old guest shared, uh, you know, the idea that, that failure is part of science, that yeah. this is hand-in-hand, hand, that, that we want to cultivate that growth mindset, which is really important for us to help children see that just because you might have not come right the first time doesn't mean you shouldn't keep trying um, and keep experimenting, keep exploring, and that's really what science is. Uh, so for us to expose them to this diverse range of scientists who come from rural areas who come from um, previously disadvantaged backgrounds to show these children that there is a future for you in science if you choose to pursue it. You know, one of the things, and I hear this a lot from when we talk to the kids uh, in that particular feature, A Breath of Fresh Air, is that they always talk about um, the ones that are succeeding, actually, are the ones who talk about failure as just an opportunity to figure out what went wrong. Um, And that's very, very powerful, not just in terms of science, but in terms of life as well, is that if we could use failure as a, as not as failure, as just simply something that happened, and I'm looking at it now, and I'm going, okay, that didn't work, but why didn't it work? And as an opportunity to figure out something different the next time, the iteration of it. Um, Dr. Makubela, are you seeing... um, the, the kids addressing that when they when they talk to the scientists and indeed do the scientists uh, demonstrate that the process that the importance of process and iteration yes indeed we are seeing that in fact i saw that myself you know i was part of the traveling exhibitions of the program as scientists with the african soweto yeah and during that period you know um, I was involved in some of the presentations and where I was, you know, the children were coming to our store, which was centered around uh, natural products, you know. Yeah. And I could just see the children because, you know, we'd have these activities where we'd have them interact with them and, you know, some of the things they would not get them right. And when we take them through the process of getting them right, you could just see that sparkle and the light <laughs> in there in their faces, you know. So, yes, indeed, we're seeing that. Uh, We've seen this in all the different programs we're doing and the different fields of science. Do you see yourself uh, as, um, as, as, because there's two journeys here. The one is you as the educator and the other one is you as the scientists going off and doing stuff around geochronology of cave Mm. deposits. I'm not even sure actually what that means, but I'm assuming it's about (laughs) time, the deposits (laughs) and and time. That is true, yes. but what, do you see those two running parallel? Yes, certainly I do. Uh, that is actually one of the reasons why I will never leave academia, you know, because it actually gives me an opportunity to continue doing both, you yeah. know, to do the research, you know, that is far removed from the society uh, in laboratories and caves, but also to be involved in the community uh, by participating in programs uh, such as Play Play Africa as I'm a Scientist and also, you know, teaching the graduate uh, uh, students at the university. So, yes, certainly I see myself continue to do both uh, going into the future. Gretchen, the teachers must absolutely love this I Am a Scientist program. You know, they do, and and, and parents as well. And I I want to let your listeners, every listener who's, who's listening, can go to our website and actually get a free resource that they can print out and use either in a classroom or in their homes. And we actually have just put them up on our website. But if you go to playafrica.org.za, we have four um, science at home workbooks, which are made possible by our partnership with 3M. And you can download them and they're chock full of awesome experiments that anyone can do using regular household materials just to learn basic science principles. Yeah. So, Michelle, when you talk about this idea of failing, we'd love to invite the parents and the educators and the kids who are listening 
to download those free workbooks or free uh, books of full of science experiments that they can do and learn through failing. I mean, I'd love to hear from kids who say, you know what, I didn't get it right the first three times, but the fourth time I came right. And we'd love to share those stories of, of turning failures into success through science experimentation. You know, one of the things that struck me is that, you know, we've had kids who are 12, 14, 15, 16 say they've never done a science experiment before in a classroom. And we really want to give kids the, the power and the possibility of, of science in their own hands, which is why we've made those resources available for free for anyone to download. I mean, if you're just uh, at home with your child and you say, well, here's a bean and we're going to put some cotton wool over it and a mm-hmm. little bit of cold water and mm-hmm. see what happens. I mean, that in itself is a science experiment. I mean, my kitchen is a science experiment. <laughs> <laughs> a failed science experiment. But I was going to say, my kitchen might be not the science experiment <laughs> that your, your listeners would want to be taking a look at. But yes, I agree. It is all around us, and we're we're really we're really excited about what's possible in terms of um, scaling this program because we believe that you know we we launched our our traveling exhibition in Soweto. We, our virtual program is very established in the city of Johannesburg, but we believe there's so much for. Uh, opportunity to scale this program uh, much bigger across not just South Africa, but the continent as a whole. It's an absolutely brilliant idea. We have to lose Dr. Tabocho Makubela. The line is not great, as you heard. It just sounded like Darth Vader was about to join us <laughs> in the conversation <laughs> as well. Gretchen, let's um, talk to your second guest, Solofelo Shwane, um, professional oral storyteller and education coordinator at Asitej. Asitej is such an extraordinary mm. project and organization in the work that they do around theater and schools, and but more than just theater and schools. I suppose it's, it's using theater as education in so many different ways. Uh, your choice of Solofelo as your next guest? I'm so excited to introduce Tolo because she has been somebody who's walked the journey of pivoting through COVID with us. You know, in the performing arts um, and in and our experiential hands-on learning, we had to really reimagine how a program that we had started pre-COVID could transform to a digital program. So she was one of the four storytellers that we worked with throughout COVID to create a range of digital storytelling uh, experiences, live uh, first on Facebook Live, and then including some ex- more produced, um, high-production digital storytelling. And I, I love the collaboration of of using traditional African storytelling methodologies to excite children about imagination um, and building a positive self-identity, and then bringing that into the digital space um, through our collaboration. So with that, I'd love to introduce Tolo. Tolo, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, everybody. Tolo, I'm interested in what Gretchen has just said now about this idea of having to shift and change. And it does feel to me as though if there's anybody that has really um, had to rethink what it means uh, to be a creative, what it means to work in a time of COVID, it has been the creative sector because they've had to go, well, do we do this as a virtual? How do we rethink this? Talk to us about some of the concerns and how you had to then make those changes during this time. In the beginning, to be honest, it was it was a little bit difficult, you know, yeah. because as a performer, we're used to being on stage, we're used to having live audiences, we're used to having... Um, almost immediate engagement. Yeah. And, you know, putting things on the on the digital platform isn't necessarily traditional theatre. 
So it was, yeah. it was quite a bit to wrap our heads around. But as we got into it, I think we started seeing a lot of the, the positives, you know, seeing how, how much more audience we can reach, how many more people can be part of this program or part of this engagement or part of these shows. You know, so it, it does have its limits, but it also does have its potential and also has its, I think it has its importance. And I think it's challenged us a lot to try to see how we are going to move into the new era. Yeah. How yeah. do we become relevant? How do we stay important when things are moving so fast, when things are so accessible, when when there's so much happening online and so much happening yeah. on television, what do we bring that makes people want to engage with us specifically? You know, you say people, and, and I'll put this to you as well, Gretchen, is that what, what you've had to redo is think about youth and children because that's the education um, space. Mm. And so, I, I mean, I'll ask you both. The impact of COVID in the education space, but also in, in creating a space for children to feel safe, for children to have access, for children to have agency, all of which is part of what Play Africa is about. How have you dealt with that? Gretchen, I'll start with you. Well, I think we've used the phrase um, trying to bridge human divides through technology. Yeah. And the way that we've done that through some of our programs, we had a program called Healing Connect. Um, where we reached out using regular phone calls to yeah. children and, and to, pa- I'm sorry, rather to parents and to educators in order to support them, to support their children. So we started to think about what, what technology do people have access to? What can they access? And like Tola said, you know, it presented challenges, but it also presented a, a tremendous possibilities. So, you know, from, from, um, from Cholo's like production of her incredible storytelling work, she was able to get comments live from children, not just in the greater Johannesburg area, which we would have reached in our in-person programs at Constitution Hill, but she was getting comments from every province and from countries across the the continent. So we were having children from Zimbabwe, from Zambia, from Egypt, tuning in to South African storytelling. And then we started getting, you know, sometimes we had nine different countries tuning in at the same time, adding comments from Latin America, from America, Europe, Asia, um, Australia. We had, we had children watching these African, this incredible African storytelling um, around the world. So whilst it does present that challenge of access we're trying to bridge that divide. It's one of the reasons why we've made these resources on our website available to just simply print once and then you can photocopy because we know that not everyone has access to data all the time. Yeah, It's really trying to think about that hybrid way of using the most accessible technology to reach the most number of children um, as easily as possible. And I really credit Cholo and the team for figuring that out um, during COVID. Tolo, what does this mean for you as part of Acetage? That Acetage in itself has had to go, okay, fine, I'm rethinking uh, and we're rethinking how we look at uh, education and theatre. I mean, I think for us, we, we also did some research last year to see how children are coping, hmm. how children yeah. are, are actually, you know, moving through this COVID thing. And I think what I realised um, for myself in particular and for myself personally, was how important art and play are. The children are in 
incredibly stressed. Yeah. Even very small children are incredibly, incredibly stressed out. And I found that things like art or play or games or stories have actually been seen as a luxury. Yeah. And this yeah. time of... Yeah. This time of... Um, how can I say? Lockdown and you know, sort of being together as families has actually brought to the fore how important it is to actually do these things that they, you know, we, we can't just focus on the survival stuff or, yeah. or, you know, because especially in education last year, because of the pressure on schools, a lot of what, what schools had to do was focus on math, science and language and yeah. bring that up you know, and sort of sidelining the arts, but forgetting that all of these things are are linked. Yeah. And that art is, mm-hmm. is, is not a luxury. It is, in fact, linked to all the other things that, that children need to learn and children need to be part of and children need to do, especially when coping with things that we are seeing for the first time. And I think this is where mm-hmm. art and creativity are important because they sort of give us a platform to discuss things that are not easily discussable or things that are a little bit uncomfortable to talk about or Mm. uncomfortable to deal with. Mm. It gives us sort of that softer platform and opens us up to new ways of talking about things. We're going to run out of time. Tolofele Shwane, thank you so much for joining us. Professional oral storyteller and education coordinator um, from Asitej. Um, in closing, I think, Gretchen, one of the things which uh, Tzolo has mentioned, but also you've mentioned it, and it's the concept of play. Mm. The critical importance of play as a means to grow innovation, curiosity, even play for adults is critical. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that it's so critical to, to put play, again, at the heart, as Tzolo says, um, pandemic time and that's why we're so grateful for the support of, of partners like RMB to fund the work that we've been doing with Tolo and with Asetich, um at Constitution Hill. It's just been putting that ability to connect, um, yeah. to experiment, to explore, to express, to express oneself through play. Um, you know, yesterday I had my own sons who did a puppet show and I realized through the puppet show what they were trying to, to kind of talk about. They were talking about um, some of the issues that they were experiencing a certain loneliness and some of the disconnection that they felt. Um, and I just could hear that some of the, the issues that have been um, front and center for my own children in their beautiful puppet show um, came out through that play. Yeah. And I think if we can stop and look, put the child at the center and try to imagine, you know, the, uh, going back to that song that we started with, try to imagine being a child. Every one of our listeners has that experience to remember that childhood and to remember their inner life and put them, uh, put children at the center and, and what they're going through right now. You know, play really is a, a chance for us to um, develop children and to connect with them. So and it, doesn't, I, it yeah. doesn't have to be, I mean, you, you know, it doesn't have to be something massive. I mean, I'm trying to think of my mother who as a child, I said, I want long hair, I want long hair. And of course, I had short, wispy blonde hair. So she gave me a pair of pantyhose, those old <laughs> pantyhose stockings. And I put them on my head and then I twisted them around and plaited them. And, she, and, and, and I walked around flicking my, my pantyhose hair. 
in town, all over the place. I mean, people were staring at her and going, who is this? I love this story. Who is this crazy child? And even crazier woman to let her child do that. But for one moment, I imagined what it must be like to have that very long hair and to flick it around like a plait. And I suppose that's the thing about play is about allowing your child to have the imagination, allowing them to do crazy Mm. things. And as you, it's not something that's, that has to be huge and costly. It's just about saying, well, let's use our imagination. Play can happen anywhere, and it doesn't cost anything. Um, you know, and it, like you say, it, it helps. It's exactly how children learn. Play is the rocket fuel for children's development. It's how children develop problem solving and express it, how they express themselves, how it sparks their imagination. And so we have some resources, again, going back to that idea. If any listeners want some free ideas, We've got some downloadable resources on our website where people can just see, uh, you know, here's some um, ways to spark play using everyday materials at home. Um, It doesn't cost a lot. But, you know, if we can help ignite that curiosity, that creativity, that growth mindset, critical thinking in children from a young age and do that by connecting with them, um, you know, that is going to be the, the nurturing environment that's going to propel them forward. So we are on a mission to help people see play differently. Um, Neuroscience shows uh, again and again that this is truly the way to get children prepared for the fourth industrial revolution and for the future, where they have to be quick and agile, flexible learners that have a, a lifelong love of learning. So we are just grateful for the partners who are helping us create those uh, leaders and innovators and inventors and creators of tomorrow by by sparking that through play today. And that's something we can all do for free immediately starting now. Gretchen wilson Pragley, you've got to get out of here. Thank you so much for joining us. A big shout out to the idea of playing. Let your children play. Put them in the center of things and let's get them to play. It's 10 o'clock. It's time for the news. It's no longer good morning. It's now goodbye.